Psalm 50. In our last lesson, we took Psalm 49 and got halfway through 50 down to verse 16. And from verse 16 on, through the rest of the 50th Psalm, we'll have the wicked rebuked by the Lord. The wicked rebuked. But I'd like to read a few verses before that in Psalm 50, just to get a background. In verse 10, the Lord says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. See, God owns everything. He says, I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. He says, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. So God says He owns everything. And you know, we get a little piece of land nowadays or something, we think we own that. We really do have care of it for a while. We're kind of a caretaker. But that's about all it amounts to because God owns it all. And one of these days, He'll make His claim on everything. And uh, His saints will reign with Him, the children of God. That song we sing, I'm bound for the promised land. He has a land in the future and a place in the future for all His redeemed. Every soul, every man, woman, boy, and girl that He's saved by His uh, sacrifice on the cross, by the sacrifice of Jesus. In verse 13, He says, Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? He says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. God wants us to be thankful. And He wants us to pay our vows or what we said that we will do in His service to Him. In verse 15, He says, And call upon Me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify Me. And that's exactly what He expects us to do. In the day of trouble, and if He will deliver us out of all of our troubles, and thou shalt glorify Me. And we glorify God for His deliverance. Now verses 16 through the rest of this psalm, and we've prepared the rest of Psalm 50 and all of 51, which is David's repentance psalm, the psalm of repentance. And we'll uh, try to finish this 50th one and then take the 51st psalm. Notice what he says in verse 16. But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? He says to the wicked, what do you have to do to declare my statutes? God's word is not to be promoted or given out by those that have no heart for Him and no love for Him and are steeped in sin and wickedness. Remember, Paul speaks in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-13. through 13, He speaks of in the last days perilous times coming and men lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And he says that, as Janus, he speaks of Janus and Jambres. Let me read it for you. Second Timothy chapter 3. He says, uh, without natural affection, verse uh, 3, uh, truce bakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And he says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning, now listen, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he says, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And then Paul tells about his uh, dealings with them. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly uh, shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. 
But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Paul says, you've known my doctrine or teaching. And he says, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Now, I want you to know this is his last statement. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. And back in our psalm now, it says, But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes, if that thou shouldst take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction, and castest my words behind thee. They hate instructions. They cast God's word behind him. The marks of the wicked teachers are pointed out in several ways. First, they refuse to be governed by God's word. See, they hate his instruction and cast his words. And in verse 18, they're covetous and adulterous. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him and hast been partaker with adulterous, adulterers. Their character is pointed out. They refuse to be governed by God's word. They, they are covetous and adulterous. And in verse 19, they are deceitful. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. This is the character of the people that God is rebuking. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. They sow discord among the brethren. Did you know Paul, I mean not Paul, but in the Proverbs, uh, Solomon says this in the 6th chapter and 19th verse. And he says, by the way, we should read verse 16 to get to verse 19. He says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. Now look, what does he hate? A proud look, a lying tongue, and he says, And hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, that's six. And it says, And he that soweth discord among brethren. God says this seventh one, it says, Yea, seven are abomination. And he says, The man that sows discord among brethren is what God hates. So the marks of these wicked teachers back in our psalm are these. They refuse to be governed by God's word. That's verse 17. They're covetous and adulterous. Verse 18. They're deceitful. Verse 19. They sow discord among the brethren. Verse 20. And then in verse 21, we see... Uh, the long-suffering of the judge of God. God is long-suffering. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. God says, I just let you get by with it. I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. In other words, because God did not rebuke them, they thought that, well, God doesn't care, and it's all right with him. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. And because of God's long-suffering, they conclude that He condones their sin. Have you ever seen people that way? They get by with this sin and that sin and the other sin, and they keep on down the, the wicked road. And they say, well, you know, if there was a God, or if God, you know, if, if God didn't like what I'm doing, or if He uh, didn't uh, condone what I'm doing, or uh, didn't approve of what I'm doing, or permit at least to permit what I'm doing, well, uh, he, would, he would rebuke me for it. And just because God is long-suffering, people take advantage of it. The Bible says that the long-suffering of God leadeth thee to repentance. And because God is long-suffering, we should be brought to repentance. We find that people take advantage of God's mercy and grace. 
And just because God doesn't immediately judge a sin doesn't mean that He approves of it. We've quoted time and again in the book of Ecclesiastes because sentence against an evil work, listen carefully, is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart, one heart, of the sons of men, plural, heart singular, the sons plural. See, all of the sons of men have one heart, depraved heart, sinful heart, until God does the work of grace. So it says, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil, because sentence against this evil work is not executed speedily. And that's what a lot of people do. They take advantage of the long-suffering of God and say, well, because he hadn't judged, he never will. But he will. He's in no hurry. The Bible speaks of God's judgment as his strange work. He doesn't want to have to judge. God doesn't want to have to punish. God does not want to have to rebuke us and condemn us for our sins and our iniquities. He'd rather we'd confess them. We'll get to that in Psalm 51 where David had sinned terribly. But he was a man that was willing to recognize his sin before God. It says in verse 22, Now consider this, ye that forget God. We preached on forgetting God this morning. Lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. He says, consider this, if I want to execute my judgment, it wouldn't take long to do so and it would be a terrible judgment. The certainty of judgment, the judgment of God, should bring all the wicked to repentance. In fact, it ought to be, bring all of us to repentance, even if we're Christians and have sinned against God. In Psalm 9, verse 17, the Bible says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. And so we wonder why God's judgment is upon many nations today. And, and if it were not for God's people, and you, you and I that pray for God's mercies and grace and forgiveness and maintain a, a bit of righteousness in the nation, in our own nation, God would have already judged this great country of ours. As great as it is, it has so many faults. Just like you heard the Gideon uh, representative this morning speak of the fact that they could give the Bibles away down in Brazil in the schools. They were invited into the schools and even give a, a testimony and even in, invite them to, uh, to uh, accept the Lord. And here in our country, you can't even walk on the sidewalk over to high school and hand out a New Testament, which you could do a few years back. <laughs> We've closed the doors to the Bibles, and they've opened the doors. And in Russia, he was telling them about it. I enjoyed his little uh, testimony this morning. And uh, so then in verse 23, it says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Great things are promised to the righteous and those that praise God for his goodness. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. The Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And Isaiah 1.18 would be a good memory verse for this lesson that we just studied in Psalm 50. And you know what it says. It says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. God calls upon even... Uh, in the first part, he calls upon his own to reason with him and to recognize that he's the owner of everything, that he has control of everything. Then in the latter part we just studied tonight, he calls upon the wicked to turn and repent and not take his grace and his long-suffering uh, to uh, their advantage and to think that God is not uh, displeased with sin. And so that verse, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
And we should come and reason together with God. Then we come to Psalm 51. This is a psalm I've always loved. And by the way, it would be a good psalm to put to memory if you'd like to memorize a psalm. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. I've quoted many of, much of it for you, but we'll teach it tonight. A psalm of repentance. And by the way, if you'll notice the caption in front of it, it says, To the chief musician, it says, A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in into Bathsheba. After his terrible sin of adultery, after his terrible sin of sending Uriah to the forefront of the battle and having him killed, after his terrible sin of murder and of all the wickedness that he had done, David words this psalm and he's brought to a place of repentance of heart. And by the way, not to excuse David's sin, but to tell you that most kings in his day would think very little of doing what he did. And I'm not justifying David in what he did. I'm just trying to say that he was a man that was a king that was touched to the, to the extent by Nathan's message that he repented of his sin. And most of them wouldn't have done that because they thought it was their right to take what they wanted. And I just leave that with you to recognize the fact of the depth of his repentance when you consider the fact that he was a king and uh, most of them wouldn't have. So it didn't make it right and we're not justifying it by any means. And we can all sin like David, but few of us are willing to repent like David. Our repentance should be as notorious as our crime is. And when we read this first verse, we find it's a plea for mercy. Look at verse 1, Psalm 51, verse 1. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Notice he puts love and kindness all in the same word. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. The kind of mercy David wanted was according to God's loving kindness. He says, God, if you're going to be merciful to me, do it according to your loving kindness. And this is a mercy that's prompted by love. The mercy that God shows to us is prompted by His love toward us. He says, according, look, according to the multitude, the unnumbered amount of thy tender mercies. He doesn't say uh, your unnumbered mercies, but your unnumbered, the multitude of thy tender mercies. You've heard me use this illustration. I think it's one that is stuck in my mind. Maybe it'll help you. And I've used it time and again when I would quote this verse of Scripture. Some of you may remember it. But I, I was telling you about an old gentleman that was raised up over here at Cloudcroft. He used to ride horseback with me. We'd go up on Sarah Blanca and one, night, one time in the real cold of the winter and the snow about three feet deep. And we were like freezing to death up there. Hunting. He, he was out hunting and I was riding along with him. But anyway, to make a long story short, when the weather was more pleasant and we'd go to a, a river or crossing... And we'd let the horse water. You know, most cowboys will walk, drive right up to the river, ride up to the river, and they'll give the horse a little bit of rain, sit there in the saddle, let them get a drink of water. Well, you say, well, it'd be kind of nice to just step off and give them their head and let them have a drink of water. Well, that's pretty good. They at least don't have your weight trying to drink water and you sitting on top of them. But on the other hand, he would always take the, bri the bits out of their mouth and put the bits up under the neck and put the bridle over the head and let them have uh, their head and drink that water without that old cold bit in their mouth and just give them full freeness to drink, have a drink of water. And to me, that reminds me of not only mercies or a blessing, but it, tender mercies, caring, caring. 
And you know, God is more merciful than that to us, and yet we do not realize it sometimes. God has given us so many blessings. To have life, he says, is not life more than meat and body than raiment? To just be alive and to be healthy. And we're all concerned about uh, uh, Wesley. We want to continue to pray for him, especially little boy. My wife noticed him this morning. She says, I saw Wesley going back and says he was just limping. I told her, I says, he's got a real bad leg there and we want to continue to pray for him. And so, when you have your health, you have a lot of blessings. And we want to pray for his improvement in health. But mercy prompted by love. We could give you Psalm, Psalm 103, verse 13. Let me read this one, Psalm 103, verse 13. And you'll see what it says here. The 103rd and verse 13. Notice what it says. It says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. I'd like for us to go back and begin reading with verse uh, verse. Uh, Three, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. There you have tender mercies again. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not, look at this verse, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. It says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, this is the verse we came to, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He knows what kind of people we are. He knows our weakness. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. So he has mercy and plenty and multitude of tender mercies toward us. We have a multitude of sins, but he has a multitude of tender mercies. He has mercy for every kind of sin. If we were to classify our sins, there's not any that cannot be found that he has not found mercy for those sins. And then it says in the last part of verse 1, if you have Psalm 51, verse 1, blot out my transgressions. Blot out. He, you know, we used to use the old ink blotter, blot out with the ink, but you don't have that anymore. But blot out. God can blot it out as a thick cloud. In Isaiah 43, and 44, let me read this for you. 43 and, first, and 44 as well. There's two passages of Scripture. In 43, verse 25, he says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. It's God that does it. No one else can blot them out but God. We can't blot them out. It says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for mine own sake. God says, I want to do it because I, I don't want you to have them. He says, I blot them out for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. What a loving and gracious God we have that will blot out our transgressions and say, I do it for my own sake because I don't want you to have them. And then he turns around and says, and I won't even remember your sins. And then down in 44, look, another verse. 44, verse 22. He says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions 
and as a cloud by sins, return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. You're redeemed. And he says, I want you to return back to me, because I've blotted them all out. God's grace and God's love and God's forgiveness ought to be an incentive for us to turn to God and love Him and serve Him, shouldn't it? If God can forgive me all of this and blot out my sins and, and not remember them anymore and do it for His own sake because He doesn't want to have them to my account and through Christ that's what we have is redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, and do that, <coughs> why should I not want to turn to God for uh, all the other things that I may have need of? Everything and anything. Notice in verse 2, He says, Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me. Here's a plea for washing and cleansing. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is a plea for cleansing. <clears throat> washing. The Bible says that He hath washed us from our sins in His own blood. The Bible tells us if we walk in the light as He is in the light we have fellowship with one with another. Now listen. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. He's the only one that can cleanse our sins. First John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. You read that passage. And then we quoted Revelation, I believe it was 1 verse 5, where it says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Revelation 1 verse 9. Uh, verse 5, I believe. Check it out. I think it's verse 5. <clears throat> then we find in verse 3, look here. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. 51 verse 3. I acknowledge my transgressions. Divine conviction is continuous until the cleansing comes. You see, when we acknowledge our transgression, and our sin is ever before us, it's on our mind, it's in our thoughts, it, it, it is evident, it's open before God. God sees it and knows about it. And we, we should acknowledge it. If we don't acknowledge it, we're the most foolish. It says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso, listen, confesseth and forsaketh him shall have mercy. See, if you try to cover them, you shall not prosper. <clears throat> you know the way to get into fellowship with God as well as maintain it? Confession of sin. See, that's the way. If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says if we uh, walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. <clears throat> and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So the cleansing comes because God does it. The admission of it, for I acknowledge my transgression, is our part. And my sin is ever before thee. Look at verse 4. He said, the psalmist David said, Against thee, <clears throat> thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Look at that. Let's just read the first part now. David said, I've sinned just against God. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Well, he had sinned against his fellow man. He had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against Uriah. He had sinned against his family. But, you know, the more we realize that sin against fellow man is sin against God. And that's why David said, against thee and thee only. In other words, you are the one that is sinned against when I even sin against my fellow man. You sin against God. See, all sin is against God. There's not any sin that's not against God. Someone might say, well, I, I did wrong to this brother or this sister or this man out on the street or this other person or there was theft or there was adultery or there was some other crime or there was some other lust or some other sin. And that was against them. No, it was, it was not only against them, but it was against God. Because God has told us not to do those things. 
And so David rightly recognizes, he says, Against thee the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Look, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. What's he saying? <clears throat> Here, David took responsibility for his sin. He took all the blame and all the responsibility for it. You know, we have this old business of passing the buck. It started with Adam and Eve. It started a long time ago, didn't it? God said, Adam, where art thou? said, I heard thy voice and I was afraid. He said, Hast thou eaten of the tree that I said not to eat of? He says, Well, the woman which thou gavest me, she gave me of the fruit and I did eat. And the woman said, The devil made me do it. Right? So the Lord starts with the, with the, the devil and then he starts, comes to the woman and then he comes to Adam. He reverses the course, doesn't he? But you see that business of passing the buck. David took all the blame and responsibility for his sin. We have people today say, well, you know, I wouldn't have done this if it hadn't been for him or her or someone else or the circumstances or the situation. Well, you just as well lay it at your own door because you're the responsible party for your sin. No one else. You say, well, I was tempted. Yes, but you yielded to the temptation. You see? It comes back to you. Now, it might have been easier for you to sin being tempted. It might have been harder for you to resist under temptation or in the circumstances or situation, but you're still the responsible party. God has made every one of us responsible for all of our actions. There's not a one that's not responsible. Even these children here, when they do something wrong, they're responsible for it. These boys and girls, they're responsible. If they go out and they steal something, they're responsible. If they tell a lie, they're responsible. If they... Uh, are disobedient to their parents and think they can get away with, they're responsible. But then we are as adults too, aren't we? And fathers and mothers are responsible to children. And it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to, to wrath, lest they be discouraged, to anger, lest they be discouraged. We have a way of our responsibilities. And so every person has their own responsibilities. You remember the, the prodigal son, when he truly repented, the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And he started to say, Make me as one of thy hired servants. And the father interrupted him and says, That's far enough. You know, sometimes you don't have to go all the way. God says, No, that's enough. And he said, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. He said, Put shoes on his feet and a ring on his hand. He said, Bring forth a fatted calf and let us kill it and eat and be merry. And they began to be merry. That was only the start of it. Your repentance and return to God is only the beginning of the merriment that can be made. So anyway, we find out here that uh, David says, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. He says, because I've sinned and when you judge me for it, I'm going to accept the fact that you're justified in doing it. See, God is justified in anything He does for us, even if it's chastening. Sometimes people blame God and say, God, now, you shouldn't have done this to me. We start blaming God for things. Don't blame God. We had it coming. God will not, not give us anything that we don't have coming in one way or another. You say, well, I don't deserve this. How do you know you don't deserve this? It may be for a reason, for a purpose. God can bring something good out of everything. You look back there at the book of Job, and old Job suffered, and he was, lost his family, lost his possessions, he lost everything in a day's time. His wife turned against him. The devil kept on after him. And he was smitten with sore balls from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. And his wife said, Curse God and die. Do you still maintain your integrity? 
He said, I brought nothing in this world and I'm not going to take anything out of it. He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'll tell you what, he endured some trials, didn't he? And, but, you know, when you study the book of Job, you'll find out as you get on down further <clears throat> that Job, <clears throat> the only sin that was wrong, the thing that was wrong with Job, he was righteous and he knew it. It's all right to be right, but just don't know too much about it. Don't put too much stock in it. We should live as right as we can, but let's not let that uh, puff us up and think we're really the, the top of the line, you know, because that can get us in trouble. We always need to learn that in spite of how we try to live, and maybe we try to live the very best we can to serve God, that still we fall short. And that's what Job had not learned. He thought, well, he says, I made the widow's heart to sing for joy. He was very generous. He went here and there. He helped everybody. He was very generous. He was a very prosperous man. He had all the wealth he could. He prayed for his sons and daughters. He offered sacrifices for them. He says, it may be they've sinned against God. I want to take care of my family. All this was good. But that's his, you know, he knew it. He knew it. As I say, be good, but don't know too much about it. Just, just do it. Just do it. And ask God to keep you humble. Alright? And notice what David said. In verse uh, 5, he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now here's the definite truth of um, the nature of sin, a sinful nature, and the depravity of, of our nature and our being. Notice, he says, I was shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. His mother was a godly woman. She was a good woman. David was born in the proper way. There was nothing wrong with a marital relationship or anything of that nature. He's saying the bloodline. He's not saying the act of his conception or bringing him into this world was any way sinful, but the fact that he was born of a sinful nature and of sinful parents and that the depravity of man. This will rebuke those that believe man is not depraved and not a sinner by nature. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by nature. We're born sinners because our parents were sinners. And their parents were sinners. And on back unto Adam, who had sinned and is the federal head. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death hath passed upon all men, for that all hath sinned. He's the federal head of the human race. And when you find somebody comes along telling you that they're not a sinner, you just say, well, you read your Bible again, or just look inside a little more closely than you have lately, and you'll begin to see. But anyway, let's go on with this. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. God wants truth on the inside, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David knew that the Lord wanted the honest truth from his heart. You know, the Bible says that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. He found that out a long time before this. David did. Remember when, when uh, Samuel was looking for a king to anoint, and of the sons of Jesse, they were all put aside, the great, mighty men of stature, and men of valor, and men of strength, David's brothers. And finally, Samuel said to Jesse, Do you have another son? He says, Yes, but he's a lad. He's out there tending the flock. He says, bring him. And he chose David. He says, because God looketh on the heart. He says, man looks on the outward appearance. All these great big brothers of David look like they would have been anointed king. And they had a, a record, a history there of being valiant men in the, in the army. And they were 
warriors, and surely one of those uh, mighty men of stature and of, of affluence would be the king. God says, no. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And he says, David is the one I want. And David knew here, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And he had had that truth at one time when he was a young lad. And he didn't want it to be forever gone. And in the hidden part thou, sh- thou shalt make me to know wisdom. True wisdom comes from God. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Look at verse uh, 7. He says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. In the Old Testament they took the hyssop. Hyssop is symbolical of humility and also symbolical of faith in God. That the they took the hyssop and they dipped it in the blood and they applied it to the lintel and the side post. Remember of the houses when the Passover when the death angel was to pass over, the houses of the Israelites. And so they dip, dip that hyssop, just an old weed type thing that's spongy, and they dip it in the blood and they put it on the lintel and the side post. And so they were doing this by faith. They were humbling themselves in the sight of God saying, Listen, if we don't do this, we're under God's judgment. And so we said, they humble themselves and they said, we, We'll apply this because God says if we'll apply the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so they, they did it. And this hyssop. And so David says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He knew that that hyssop had to be the cleansing fluid is the blood. You read Exodus 12 verse 22. Let me read it for you. Exodus 12, verse 22, And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel of the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out uh, at the door of his house until the morning. And this was to protect them from the, from the uh, death angel that came over and from the sentence of death. And, and it did. I wish I could stick with this and then finish this psalm too. I got a decision to make but let me let me give you this you know regardless of that little that firstborn it was the firstborn in every house was to be slain if there was no blood found and regardless of the feeling of that firstborn in that house can you imagine a little boy coming in saying daddy are you sure this is going to work you know God said you know that every firstborn is going to die are you sure this is going to work and he may have been in there as frightful as he could be until that death angel passed over and he might have been in there, and another little boy would be in another house and said, God, I know. Uh, Father, I know. Dad, I know. Because you've applied the blood, God's going to keep His Word, and I'm perfectly safe. He, he felt secure. And his feelings didn't have anything to do with it, one way or the other, did it? That one that was just as scared to death was just as sure of being kept as the one that was fearing for his life. To me, that's a lesson on security of the believer. If you're under the blood of Christ, you're saved and safe and secure whether you believe it or not. And brother, you can go on and fret the rest of your life and worry about it and say, I just hope I'm not lost. I hope I don't go to hell because I'm not sure the blood of Christ is good enough. God says it's good enough. So you can fear the rest of your life if you want to, but you can take me at my word and I'll guarantee you can rest safely and assured at it. Your feelings, the feelings of that child didn't change a thing. It was the blood that was applied. And I'm glad, I'm glad we have the surety of our salvation sealed by the blood of Christ. And if we've accepted Him, there's nothing going to harm us. We're protected by that blood. 
So he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Remember, we quoted Isaiah 1.18, where it says, Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be white as snow. The hyssop is a symbol of humility, and it's also a symbol of our faith. By applying it, it, and the cleansing fluid is the blood of the Lamb. Then the results of true repentance. Let's hurry and get this. We find it in verse 8 now. It says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Here's the reception. Make me to hear joy and gladness. We've already referred to the prodigal as he returned. And when the fatted calf was killed and the father says, and the Bible says, and they began to be merry. That was the joy and gladness of the Christian reception. That's the joy and gladness of, uh, that is offered to the repentant sinner. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And then in verse 9, he says, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out, blot out all mine iniquities. Earlier he says, Blot out my transgressions. Now he says, Blot out all of them. He says, I don't want you to leave any of them there. Notice the progress in this, in this repentance. You know, we come to God and we say, God, I want you to forgive me my transgressions. But now he says, I want you to forgive me all mine iniquities. I want everything. I want the slate clean. He says, I want you to hide your face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. You know what this indicates to you and I? The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, Romans 8.1, First Romans 5.1. Look at verse 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He wanted a cleansed heart. We need a pure heart. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want our heart to be right. That's above everything else. If we get our heart right, everything else will fall into place. And he says, uh, 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 Create in me a clean heart. When he says create, he's as much as saying, What I have is not good enough. I want you to renew it by a recreation. Create in me. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creature. A new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And he says, uh, and renew a right spirit within me. A right spirit. What is the right spirit? We want to be right with God and we want to be right with others. Let me read for you in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31. Ephesians 4 verse 31. Uh, This is a very good verse to look at. It says, Let all bit here's a right spirit. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. We've got to get rid of any bitterness, any ill feelings of any kind. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Look at that. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Be ye kind uh, one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Have you ever heard someone say, Well, you know that person did so and so and I just can't forgive him. Well, you're in trouble. You're in real trouble if you can't forgive him. You know why you're in trouble? Because it says, If we forgive not our brother his trespasses, neither... Will your heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses? So you can pray from from morning till night with an unforgiving spirit, and God says, 
Not so. Just wait a minute till you get the thing right. You forgive your brother and then I'm ready to forgive you. God says, you get it right. You see the rules. God makes the rules. And there's one thing we've got to have is a, is a forgiving spirit. A forgiving spirit. This is one thing I've done my very best to practice during my life. I've had people that get angry with me in the family or out of the family or here or there in the community because I don't do exactly like they want or whatever. And uh, whatever comes up, I try to do this. I try to at least reconcile. And if it can't be reconciled, I at least try to have a forgiving spirit. Say, whatever it is, if that's the way they feel, I can't help how they feel. But I can certainly help how I feel. And I can hold no grudge and no unforgiving spirit. And you can't either. And if you do, it'll, it'll eat you alive. It won't do you any good. Well, I've got several verses. And I've got two minutes. <clears throat> and I've got a lot to say. <clears throat> but we'll do the best we can. Look at this verse uh, 11. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament... The men of God received the Holy Spirit's power upon them for a time. And then it could be withdrawn. But in the New Testament, the Bible says when He gives us the Holy Spirit, that He will abide with you and He will remain in you forever. So we have the constant indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then it says here uh, in verse uh, 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David didn't say restore thy salvation, but restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Joy was to be given him. And uphold me with thy free spirit. I love that word, free spirit. God's spirit is free. It doesn't put us under, under bondage in any way, form or fashion. It's his free spirit. We have preachers, many times we pray for the freeness of the Holy Spirit as we preach and teach. But he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now, if he has the joy of salvation and uphold with God's free spirit, Look at verse 13. Then, look at this. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted. We do not have the joy of the Holy Spirit. And if we do not have the joy of salvation, we cannot teach transgressors God's way, and sinners will not be converted. In other words, it's necessary for us to have this ourselves. David says, when you restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, he had salvation, but he said, I want to be happy in the Lord again. I want to be where I was before. And when I have the joy of salvation, then, look at that word then, <clears throat> then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And by the way, transgressors need to be taught God's ways. Taught God's ways. And sinners shall be converted. Sinners are converted when they're taught. 